So let's just begin in Luke chapter 18. We'll just survey a number of New Testament passages for now. Luke chapter 18, I'll take these in order. So let's begin in the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And then Jesus goes on and gives the parable. So what is is the lesson here? Men, and that would include all people, men, women, boys, and girls, all people ought to pray. They need to pray. They should pray. Always, at all times, at no time should they stop praying or give up on prayer. They always ought to pray. And what is it that so often makes us stop praying? And not lose heart. And not get discouraged. And not give up. Not give up on prayer. Not give up on God. Don't think for one minute God doesn't care. He does care. And then, of course, Jesus goes on to tell this parable about a certain widow in a certain city. And uh, she wanted some relief from her adversary who kept uh, uh, badgering her and, and complaining and so on and so forth. And she kept going to the magistrate and asking for relief. And the magistrate didn't want to do anything. And finally, this woman, because of her persistence, the magistrate finally said, okay, I'm going to help this woman. If for no other reason to get her off my back. <laughs> and so uh, her request was granted. And then in verse 7, Uh, Jesus says, And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Even though God may uh, allow them uh, and put them off for a long time, eventually God will hear the prayers of his righteous servants, and he will take care of them. He will avenge their their adversaries and their persecutors. Uh, What Jesus is teaching here is God notices the affliction. God notices the affliction of his people. And if this unrighteous magistrate, who really could care less about God, was willing to finally answer the request of this persistent widow who was being taken advantage of and mistreated, how much more God in all of his mercy shall grant the request of his righteous people who trust in him. Okay, let's go to Romans. Romans chapter 12. So just go past uh, the Gospel of John. And Acts, we come to Romans, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Here the Apostle Paul comes around to the practical application of the gospel. The practical application of having received such profound mercy from the Lord. And... uh, and Part of this uh, chapter, he's giving a lot of commands. And we have quite a succession of commands. Uh, But notice verse 12. Verse 12. Romans 12, verse 12. Here's a, a list of commands. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Boy, if we're ever going to rejoice in hope and if we're ever going to be patient in tribulation, we're going to need to pray. Pray. And pray and keep on praying. Because when we pray, we're telling God, God, I trust you. God, I'm depending on you. 
I don't have anyone else or any, any, anything else to turn to. I need you. I want you. I'm depending on you. So I pray. Pray for myself. I pray for my spiritual growth. I pray for family members. I pray for the church. I pray for my witness. I confess my sins. I pray, and in my praying, I adore you, I worship you, I thank you, I bless your holy name, I ask for courage and strength to get through each day, I ask you for your mercy each and every day, I pray. Continue steadfastly in prayer. We need to do that. The Bible commands it. Okay, now let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians, so go past First and Second Corinthians and Galatians, we come to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Here the Apostle Paul is uh, giving us the armor that every Christian should adorn themselves with as we are involved in a spiritual conflict uh, with evil and with Satan and the forces of darkness. Uh, We need God's special protection and here are these uh, various pieces of armor. And if you look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6, notice verse 18. We're told here that we should pray. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So we're commanded to be prayerful. We're specifically commanded to engage in intercessory prayer for other believers, especially for their vigilance and their ability to stave off the threats and the attacks of the devil. We're involved in a spiritual battle. We need to pray. And my praying and my frequent praying is a sign of spiritual alertness and a sign of spiritual vigilance. We pray in the realm of the Holy Spirit. We pray uh, as he enables us. And we're watchful. We're watching for our prayers to be answered. We're also watchful and alert because of the danger of the times in which we live. Uh, The devil wants to trip up our faith. He wants to take away our joy and our peace. But God wants us to be vigilant and obedient and to have a full measure of joy and peace as we trust and as we pray. Go to Philippians, if you will, just the next letter of the Paul. I'll just turn the page to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. I think we can all relate to this passage because I'm quite confident if you're human and you're willing to admit it, we've all been anxious at times. We've all worried about something or someone. And here, uh, here is what the Apostle Paul says. Here is uh, his antidote for a life of, of worry and fretting. He says here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, and note that it is a command, be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in every situation... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. So that means our our prayer should be peppered with a lot of thanksgiving. It's not right to go and ask God for more and more things when we're forgotten to thank Him for all the past blessings and all the past trials through which He has safely brought us. So we pray. We pray in everything, in every situation, in every circumstance. We pray with prayers and supplications. Uh, That might mean uh, praying for others as well, for their situations. We pray with thanksgiving. Uh, and we should let just let our requests be made known to God. Don't hold back. Don't think we're bothering God. Don't think that God can't handle this. We just need to let, just allow all the petitions, all the requests, whether for ourselves, our loved ones, our church, uh, brothers and sisters in the body, just let those petitions flow to the throne of God's grace. Just let them out. Don't hold back. 
And what does verse 7 says? And the peace of God. Boy, who doesn't want the peace of God? I sure do. And the peace of God, the serenity of God, the tranquility of God, which surpasses, it goes beyond all understanding, it goes beyond anything which humans can understand in their own right. It's only Christians who can understand this special peace, Christians who trust in God and pray. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will what will guard, will do sentry duty, <laughs> will guard your hearts and your minds, will guard your emotions and your thoughts through Christ Jesus, through being in Christ, through all the gifts and the benefits that we have being in Christ Jesus. Wow, what a great truth. I need to apply this more in my own life. I need to pray and not be anxious. I need to give everything to the Lord and ask Him to deal with every situation in my life. A couple more, then we'll get to Romans 8. Uh, if you will, let's go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. First uh, Thessalonians, yeah, that's before First and Second Timothy. First Thessalonians five. Here again, we have a rapid fire of commands, one command right after another. First Thessalonians chapter five. Here, the Apostle Paul is telling us how to live the Christian life. First Thessalonians chapter five. Notice verse sixteen. Rejoice always. At no time are we to stop rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. And then verse 18, I think we need to include 18 as well. In everything, in every circumstance, in every situation, give thanks. Give thanks to God. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I'm often reminded that in all my grumbling and complaining, if I can just set that aside, there's lots of things for which to give thanks to God for. You know, sometimes I blow my problems out of all proportion. (laughs) All I can see is this irritation, this thing, this situation that I want resolved. Somehow I get tunnel vision. I I can't see it. All I do is focus on the problem. And I forget to thank God for all of his blessings. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In other words, constantly maintain a spirit of prayer, a spirit of being connected to God and open, open, open communication with him. And give thanks. And I think the, the praying without ceasing is helped or shored up by our rejoicing and our giving thanks because that's going up to God as well. And then let's go to uh, Hebrews. Just two more, then we'll get to Romans 8. Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. Uh, so just keep going in your New Testament to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4. Well, let's begin in verse 14. I was just going to read 16, but let's begin in verse 14 because this is so wonderful here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we, we Christians, have a great high priest, a great representative, a great advocate who has passed through the heavens. That pictures Jesus risen from the dead and exalted to the right hand of God. It pictures our our Savior in glorious triumph. It pictures him having power and supremacy. It pictures Jesus as Lord over all. Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And what is our confession? Jesus is the Son of God. He died for us in our sins. He was raised from the dead. He's ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. That's our confession. 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses with our frailties, with our infirmities, with our deficiencies, 
but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now verse 16, let us therefore, in view of this, in view of the fact that we have a great high priest who is situated before the very throne of God and is accepted by God because he is God's son, sinless and pure, having died for us, having been raised from the dead, having returned to God the Father, there as our representative, there as the one who speaks to the Father for us, having that ministry, therefore let us come, what, boldly. Not, not, not with fear, not with cowardice, not, not worrying, oh, is God going to hear me? Is God going to accept me? Is, is, you know, have I offended God too many times? Is, does, does God still love me? No, 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 none of that. Let us come boldly or, or fearlessly or courageously to what the throne of grace. And we Christians come to the throne. It's not a throne of judgment. We come to the throne of grace. We come to God's awesome, powerful, omnipotent throne and God is there. As he has already dished out us grace in Christ Jesus because we're his children, he's eager to dish out more grace. We come to the throne of grace that we may obtain what we may obtain. We need something. We want something. We're, we're desperate. We're in dire circumstances. We need God's help. We need God's mercy. What does the text say? We come. We come that we may obtain mercy and find. That means we, we have come to, to receive God's mercy and to experience his grace to help, to help us in what our time of need. And I think we all know too well from our own experiences that we're needy people. We really need God. We need His mercy. We need His grace every day. One more passage, and then we'll go to Romans 8. So go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. 1 Peter 5. So just keep going past Hebrews, go past James, and then we come to he- uh, Peter. 1 Peter 5 is what I want. 1 Peter 5. First Peter 5 and verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5, notice verse 6. Here uh, Peter is encouraging humility, uh, that the younger people in the church would respect the older folks, have a real sense of humility before God. God resists the proud, but he gives his grace to humble people. Okay, now verse 6, 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. In other words, just patiently wait on God. Don't badmouth God if he seems like he's taking a long time to get things done. Don't complain, don't whine, don't cry. Just, just live humbly under God's, what, his omnipotent hand. See, God's hand is over me, God's hand is over you. And God's hand is always used in the Bible as a symbol of his power. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. My life is in God's hands. My life is in the hands of the best person in the universe. Him who is all-powerful, omnipotent, and just and good. Humble yourselves. Just patiently wait, quietly wait under the mighty, omnipotent, powerful hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. In other words, his time. (laughs) I'm always in a rush. We don't like to wait. Just patiently wait on the Lord that he may exalt you in due time. Doing what? What do we do? What do we do do to show that we're uh, humbly putting ourselves under the mighty hand of God and we're we're just patiently waiting for him to exalt us. What what do we do? Verse 7 tells us we're casting. We're casting all our cares. The text says casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. And Peter knows all too well as he writes these words, every Christian has cares of one sort or another. And we are to be constantly continuing casting our cares on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
casting our cares uh, on Almighty God, knowing that He cares for us. He cares for us more than we'll ever know. He loves us more than we'll ever know. Now, with this background in mind, and this, this great encouragement to pray, and to pray, and to pray, now let's go to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. And we'll just spend our time looking at Romans 8 and a couple of verses here. Romans chapter 8. So go back to Romans, Paul's great letter to the ancient church at Rome. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. So we should pray. I think as Christians we want to pray. We want to show our respect for God. We want to show our humble dependency upon God. We know we need God. We know we need to ask God for things. We also know we need to praise and adore God. But now notice these words of the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray. For as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit or what the mind of the Spirit is because he, the Spirit, makes intercession for or on behalf of the saints according to the will of God. So here's something interesting the Apostle Paul has brought up that you haven't given much thought to. As Christians, we often do not know what to pray. Have you ever been in a circumstance or a situation where maybe the circumstances are so overwhelming, you're just at a loss? You really don't know what's the best thing to say to God? God, what is going to honor you and glorify you the most? What is really going to be in the best interest for me? What is in the best interest of my welfare? What is also the best way that you're honored and glorified? Lord, what do you really want to do in my life? What are you trying to do in my life, Lord? Sometimes we think we know what we ought to pray for. But maybe if we were a little more humble, we might say with the Apostle Paul, we're not really sure what we should pray for as we ought. Because oftentimes we really don't know the mind of God. Well, let's think about these two verses in a little more detail. Notice in verse 26, uh, the Apostle Paul begins by saying, Likewise the Spirit. So the Apostle Paul has been talking about something in the previous verses, and he's going to say that the Holy Spirit also helps us in a certain way. So what has the Apostle Paul been talking about? He's been talking about our weaknesses. <laughs> and there's a lot of them. And God has been very graciously and mercifully addressing all of our weaknesses and telling us in the previous verses that God is going to take care of them. Just a quick survey here. Notice uh, uh, we're in Romans 8. We're going to stay in Romans 8. But notice verse 2. Notice what the Spirit is doing there. Verse 2, the law or the power of the Spirit in life uh, of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, I, I, I was under the judgment of God as a non-Christian, as an unbeliever. I stood before a God condemned for my sins, and I was going to have to pay for my sins, and I, I was trapped in this a cycle of sin and sin and sin, just and trapped to myself and my selfish bent, and I was going to die, and there was no hope. But the Spirit set me free. There's no condemnation. I've been set free from the power of sin because I have the Holy Spirit. Sin doesn't need to rule over my life. And then, even though the body dies, it will be raised from the dead, according to verse 11. 
The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see how God is taking care of our weakness? The sin problem? The problem of death and dying? Notice verse 3. Here again, God is taking care of our weakness. Notice verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak to work through my flesh and your flesh, to work in my body and your body, uh, God did. See, God took care of this problem, this weakness of the law to work in my flesh, because my flesh was weak. My flesh just couldn't, couldn't love God and serve God aright as I should. So God took care of the situation. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and on account of sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. God condemned and judged my sin and your sins in the flesh and blood body of Jesus when he died for us on the cross. And then in verse 9, we know that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're not in the flesh anymore. See, God, God took care of our, 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 our sinful uh, condition, our bent on sinning. We're not in the flesh anymore, but we're in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, everyone has the Holy Spirit who is a Christian. And then we come down to verse uh, 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So the Holy Spirit has been given to me to lead me, guide me, direct me, and to lead me in the paths of righteousness for the, the great name of Almighty God. Then in verse 15, we're told that we didn't receive a, a spirit of a bondage again to cower in fear before God, but rather we have received God's Holy Spirit who works in us, reassures us that we're children of God so that we can cry out to God and say, Abba, Father. We can have this sense of freedom to approach God, knowing God loves us and we have been fully accepted before God, not based on our works, but based on the merits of Jesus Christ and his death for us on the cross. So you see how God is working. God is working. God is working through his spirit. God works through his son to take care of and address all of our problems and our weaknesses as to why we can't love and serve God. We're told in verse uh, 17 that we're children of God, we're joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. God has taken care of our weakness by giving us this glorious hope that we talked about last Sunday. In verses 18 through 25, we have this wonderful hope that someday our bodies are going to reflect the very glory of God. We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to have new bodies, new resurrection bodies, new bodies that are no longer subject to death and mortality. But the text mentions that right now in this body we moan, we groan. Notice verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans. And it's as if the whole creation is in, in birth pains, labor pains until now. Verse 23. And not only they, not only creation, but we, we Christians also who have the first fruits of our spirit. Even we ourselves, we groan. We groan within our spirits. We groan within ourselves eagerly awaiting for the adoption that is the redemption of our body. We have this wonderful hope. But what are we to do in the meantime? We're to pray. We're to pray and we're to pray and we're to pray. But as verse 26 says, likewise the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Another weakness we have that Paul hasn't talked about yet, but he talks about it now in verse 26. We just don't know what to pray for as we ought. So what assurance do we have now? We can rest assured that the Holy Spirit who is ministering in our hearts, the Holy Spirit who has been giving to us to reassure us that we're children of God, the Holy Spirit works in us to enable us to cry out, Abba, Father, that same Holy Spirit is interceding for me. The Holy Spirit is praying for me and praying for you. And the Holy Spirit prays exactly according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what is best for me and for you in every circumstance, in every situation. And as I moan and I groan under the weight and the pressures and the trials of life, the Holy Spirit moans and groans with me. The Holy Spirit is making intercession with groanings inexpressible, with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
That's what verse 26 says. We do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession. He prays to God on our behalf. He's communicating to God for us with groanings, with moanings, with sighs which cannot be uttered, which are inexpressible. I've often wondered, why would the Holy Spirit need to groan in inexpressible language? Maybe it's because we're groaning. Remember back in verse 23? Not only does creation, but we, we Christians, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we who have the down payment and the guarantee of the Spirit, which guarantees all the good things to come, even we ourselves, we groan, we moan in our spirits, we sigh within our spirits, so maybe the Spirit is right there alongside us. As we moan and groan and sigh under the weight and the pressures of life, the Spirit is moaning and groaning with us as the Spirit prays to God perfectly for us according to the will of God. And then notice verse 28. Or verse 27, rather. Verse 27, now, he who searches the hearts, that would probably be God. God is the one who searches the hearts of all people, and he also searches our hearts. God has a special delight in the hearts and the minds of Christians. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. The Spirit is there in my spirit, working in me. And God knows exactly the mind, the intent, the goal, the desire, the aspiration of his Spirit. He knows nothing is hidden from God. Because the Spirit makes intercession for the saints, for all the saints, not just some, all the saints according to what? According to the will of God. So we can all breathe an easy sigh of relief. Even when I don't know what to pray. Even when I don't know what to pray for. Even when I wonder and have those times, am I praying praying the right thing? Am I praying the right way? Am I even asking for the right thing? I don't need to worry. Because the Spirit's covering that weakness. The Spirit is interceding for me. You know what this tells me? It tells me how much God loves me. How much God cares about me. How much He cares about me right now as I go through this life. And as we feel the weight and the burden and the pressures of of all that is going on in this world. In our present condition, in our present weakness, in our present frailty. God loves me and cares about me. And He wants to reassure me that in my praying even when I am at a loss as to what to pray, or even if I pray for the wrong thing, and I ask for the wrong thing, or I ask amiss before the throne of God, the Spirit is there in my sighings and in my groanings, praying, praying, interceding for me because He loves me. Maybe that's why in verse 28 it says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Why wouldn't all things work together for good to those who love God when God has shown us in Romans chapter 8 how much He loves me? There's no condemnation. The Spirit set me free from sin and even from future death I've been set free. The Spirit is working in me to lead me and guide me. He reassures me that I'm a child of God and, and, and I can cry out, Abba, Father. And I have this wonderful, glorious hope of the glory of God at the coming of Christ. I wait for the final redemption of the body. And now I can rest assured the Spirit makes intercession for me. God loves me. He loves you more than I can understand and more than you can understand. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. Lord, we thank you that as your redeemed children, we can freely, courageously, come to our Heavenly Father and we can say, Abba, Father, knowing that you love us and you care about us and you welcome us with open arms. But Lord, if we're honest with you, sometimes we really do wonder, is our praying amiss? 
Have we made the right petitions? Whether for ourselves or for others. And Lord, even in our weakness in praying, sometimes we find it hard to pray. We find it difficult to pray. We're so busy. We get so many things in our mind. Lord, even in our difficulty in praying, help us all to rest assured and and just accept the glorious truth that your Spirit, your Holy Spirit, is praying, interceding for us at every moment, at every twist and turn in life. We're not left alone. We're not left to fend for ourselves. Your Spirit is with us. Your Spirit is praying for us perfectly according to the will of God. And you, O God, you hear the Spirit's prayer and you answer because His prayers, the prayers of the Spirit, are perfect and right and according to your will. Lord, help us to understand that you love us. Help us to appreciate this love communicated to us through your Holy Spirit. We pray in the wonderful and glorious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Now let's sing our final hymn, which is a hymn that encourages us to thank God for answered prayer. It's uh, hymn number 240. Hymn number 240. O God, we want to thank thee. We want to thank thee for all the prayers you've answered. We want to thank you for your love, your goodness, and your mercy. So 252, we'll close out our service with this wonderful hymn. Uh, 252, and we'll, uh, no, 240, excuse me, 240. We already sang 252. 240, 240, oh God, we want to thank you. And we'll sing this to the familiar tune, I sing the mighty power of God. So 240, oh God, we want to thank thee. Alright, let's stand to the We made our supplication, our anxious hearts waver, and Thou hast kept Thy promise, and from Thy throne on high, didst Thou Thy ear to hearken, and grant Thy servants cry. On the second. Lord, Thou hast never failed us, we ask and we obtain. And so with faith emboldened, return and ask again. We knock and thou dost open, and stand within the door, and give us gracious welcome, and come and ask for more on the last. And so we want to thank thee, not one alone, but all, who know thee as their father, and on thy bounty call. Redeemed are we in Jesus, thy son thou didst not spare. 
and with him thou didst give us thy love in him to share. Amen. You are dismissed. God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon. Are we invited to that barbecue? <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. I don't think so. I'm just